turn your Bibles to the book of Esther, chapter 4. Last week we looked at Haman, the wicked Haman had come against Mordecai, and he got the king to agree to kill all the Jews on a certain day about a year from that time. He even got the king to give him his ring to sign a letter that would go out to all the districts, to all the provinces, making this proclamation that on a certain day, about 11 months later, all the Jews will be killed, all their possessions will be taken, and it's going to, it's, it's like a law that's been passed in the kingdom for all these Jewish people to be killed. In Esther chapter 4, we'll start reading in verse 1, we see Mordecai's response to this letter. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king commanded and, dec and decree arrived, there was a great mourning among the Jews. With fasting, weeping and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. If you look at the end of verse 3, you may want to underline these words. Fasting, weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Before I preach what is happening here at Esther, we have to understand what fasting is and what, uh, in particular, mourning and sackcloth and ashes. So I may uh, preach at least one more message on uh, mourning and sackcloth and ashes, but today I'm going to be preaching on fasting. Should we still fast today in this day that we live in? I've been praying about next week when I preach on sackcloth and ashes. As you know, sackcloth is a very rough material. I haven't decided yet, but the verdict's still out. But I've been praying about asking you next week wear the most itchy, miserable <laughs> shirt you have. Uh, the reason I haven't already done that is because my worst one has a big cat on the front of it. <laughs> and I don't know if I can wear that out here or not. <laughs> so uh, unless I can find something that's just as itchy as that one, I, I may not do it, but I'll send out a text this week. Uh, I encourage your participation if you get this text. That next week I'm going to be preaching on sackcloth, and I may ask you to wear something really miserable so you can identify with the message. But today we're looking at fasting. Just three basic points today. What is fasting? What fasting is not? And I'm going to give you only two reasons today to fast. There are many more, but I'm going to give you two in application today. So first of all, what is fasting? To fast means to abstain from food. Literally the word fast in the Bible uh, means not to eat. And so if you're going to abstain from food, it could be uh, you just miss one meal. It could be that you uh, go by fasting with not eating or drinking. Or it could be that you don't eat, but you still drink water. A lot of people do that just so you can keep going. In Daniel's day, it says that he fasted from choice meats <laughs> and from sweets. 
and uh, that was considered a fast. If you already fast from meat, though, or if you already don't eat meat, you can't count that. I know we have some in our church who do that. Uh, and if you already only eat two meals a day, you can't say, well, I've been fasting for years, I only eat two meals a day. That's, that's not what counts here. If you only eat two meals a day and you begin to fast, you might only be able to eat one meal a day. And if you only eat vegetables already, then if you're going to fast, you may have to cut out vegetables. But uh, it's something that you eat every single day, that you do every single day, that would be costly if you gave it up. Uh, for, for you, yours might be different than somebody else. For me, I could fast ice cream. Okay, does that make sense? Because I eat it every single day. Um, for some of you, it could be uh, something different from that. Um, it could be anything that you're very accustomed to having and, and getting on a regular basis. And if you gave it up, it would be hard to give up. Recently, my family did a fast and my sons gave up social media and television. That's a type of fast because it's something that uh, they do. Uh, for some people, maybe you could fast Netflix. I heard recently that's a very serious thing for some people to give up. Maybe that's something you would fast. For some people, you uh, might could fast reading a book. I don't know very many of those left, but there's still some of those left around. Uh, and for some people, you might would fast even shopping because that's something you do every single day. But whatever it is, it's something that you would give up in a, in, a, in a meaningful way because you want there to be a void in your life and you want to seek after God. What is fasting? It was for a short or a long period of time. Originally, fasting was started in the Old Testament at the Day of Atonement. And that fast was from sunrise to sunset. In 1 Samuel chapter 31, they, they had a seven-day fast. In Daniel chapter 10, there is a three-week fast. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, that he was often fasting. And so you could fast for one meal, and, and that would be considered a fast. Or you could fast for one portion of that meal, like we mentioned, a dessert, not having desserts for many days, or not having uh, meat for many days, or something like that. Or you could fast all food and drink. That's serious for a day or several days. Or you could fast food and only drink water for a day or for several days. Self-denial is what is involved here. Self-denial, in order to cause yourself to think about something and, and seek after God. Self-denial is saying no to the flesh. And in the, in the day we live in, we're not used to self-denial. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. I fear in America we are much like that. We get whatever we want. Most of us here today eat whatever we want and we drink whatever we want. We can afford to eat and drink whatever we want. 
Most people today even buy whatever they want. It's hard to buy birthday presents and Christmas presents for many these days because everybody has whatever they want. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so fasting has to do with that portion of that verse that says denying yourself. It would be self-denial in a way of then taking up your cross after Jesus. And so what's happening, the intent of this is when you deny yourself and you give up something, that then your body begins to ache for what you're giving up. And you begin to think of it often. It's not an easy thing to fast if you fast the right thing. It should be hard. It should be difficult. And so you often think about this thing you're, you're going without. And every time you think about it, that leads you to prayer. Like your belly is growling for the first time in years, perhaps, because you're giving up food. And every time you are consumed with prayer, you say, Lord, I, I want to eat so bad. And if you start fasting, you're going to start thinking about food even more than ever. And you, you want it so badly. And every time you want to eat, you think, I'm going to pray. And you pray about that thing that you're intending to fast for. Fasting denies the comforts our bodies are used to having. Then when you ache for what you desire, you pray and you seek God. Fasting is also voluntary. Voluntary. There's no biblical commandment to fast. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we're to fast this much or this often. That's interesting, isn't it? There, there's no command in the Bible to fast, yet throughout the Bible there's fasting. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, I could go on and on. I could give you a long list. I'll give you a short one. Moses fasted. Joshua and Daniel and Esther fasted. Ezra fasted. And so did Esther and Mordecai in our passage. They fasted. In the New Testament, the disciples fasted. The early church fasted. Paul fasted and talked about it frequently. Jesus, when he was on the earth, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights before the devil tried to tempt him in the wilderness. So you should fast, I believe. It should be something that God leads you to do on certain occasions. Not, it's, it's purely something that is led of God. Let me give you a, a statement. It is a personal, non-compulsory act which men are moved to do by God. God calls you with something upon your heart that, that you want to pray intensely for, and that determines a fast. And then God leads you to know what that fast should be, if it should be this one particular thing, or if it should be this one particular meal, or if it should be many days, or, or whatever it is. It's voluntary what fasting is. Number two, what is fast? what it is not. It is not to get a better looking body. That's what it's not. I think in our day that we live in, a lot of people are fasting for diet purposes. And if you're sitting here automatically, you're thinking, boy, this is a good message right here. I've been thinking about some way to lose some weight. I, I think I can get into this fasting so I can lose some needed pounds to be gone. Uh, that's not the reason to do it. 
It's not for Catholic penance. Uh, I don't often talk about other denominations, but I thought necessary to do this here. Uh, the Catholics believe that fasting is a part of their penance. They believe that fasting is a, is a way to pay for their sins. In other words, if you committed a sin that week, then you would uh, fast a certain amount to pay a price for your own sins. Uh, you know, that, that that's not biblical. Do not pay for your sins. God pays for your sins. You cannot pay for your sins. And so there may be many people here today, even though you're not Catholic, maybe you grew up in a very legalistic church or in a very legalistic home, and you may have inside you, when you, when you sin, or let's just say it this way, when you sin largely, you may feel this sense of needing to self-punish to even self-harm. I believe that's where in our society a lot of self-harm comes from. Uh, people believe that they need to harm themselves or hurt themselves. And it's, it's out of the same thought process of penance, to pay for your own sins. If this is the way that you have a tendency to think or to feel, then you're going to have to be very careful with fasting. Because you don't want to fast and get into a matter of fasting where you feel like you're earning your salvation somehow or earning God's forgiveness somehow because fasting is not to pay for your sins it is also not for self-righteousness even to make you feel more godly in Luke chapter 18 verse 11 through 12 the Pharisee stood and prayed with himself God I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. These Pharisees were fasting to be seen of men. Not only to be seen of men, they were fasting twice a week just for fasting's sake, like a religious duty. Like the reason some people go to church to just check it off their list Pharisees were fasting two days a week to, to feel more godly and to be seen as more godly. For other people to watch them and think, wow, look at that godly man. He's fasting. So fasting in and of itself creates no personal virtue. It doesn't make you any better. You can't say, well, I'm going to be spiritual this week. I'm not going to eat. You're not more spiritual because you eat, and you're not more spiritual because you don't eat. Do you remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus on the cross, he pays for our sins, and he also makes us righteous in Jesus. He takes away our sin, and he brings us righteousness and holiness and gives it to us. That's the gospel. So, fasting to become a more religious person is not a valid reason. You cannot pay for what Jesus pays for on the cross. It's not for self-righteousness. It's not either for attention. You don't fast to get attention. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites who 
with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Notice what it says there. There are people who are fasting, these hypocrites. They do it with a sad face. They dis disfigure themselves, it says. So that they can appear to men to be fasting. It's about their outward appearance. But Jesus says, when you fast, wash your head, or anoint your head and wash your face so that men can't tell you're fasting. That says to me, you, you shouldn't tell other people you're fasting. You want only God to know you're fasting. And God who sees you in secret will reward you openly. What God's saying in these verses is this. Fasting is between you and God alone. It is to be not told to other people unless they're joining you in that same particular fast. And so if you're fasting, don't do it for attention. If you are fasting for attention, and that's your reason behind it, then you might as well just stop. You might as well just go get you something to eat and to drink. Because God's not listening to you if you're doing this to get the attention of men. It's not for attention. The last thing that it's not, it's not a vending machine. I take this illustration from the great preacher who's now passed away, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you've ever heard of him. I still listen to him regularly. And he once spoke of fasting like this, that many Americans see fasting like a vending machine. You know the vending machine, how you, when you get to it, you have your, used to be, you had your coins. I remember as a young boy, I'd save a nickel or a dime after my lunch money was spent and save it up so I could go to the vending machine. And at the vending machine, you put your coins in and then you push the button of the candy bar or crackers or, or whatever it is that you want to get. Fasting is, is not to be viewed like this in your relationship with God, that you would fast a meal and then you would tell God, I want this prayer answered and, and know that expectingly you're going to have it just kind of drop into the drawer belief that you're going to get that certain prayer answered. It's not a payment to God is the point of this illustration. It's not, fasting is not a payment to God that you pay so that you get your prayer answered. Fasting is so that you draw close to God and you actually pray about this thing uh, every time you, your body aches for what you're forsaking. Romans chapter 14, verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so the kingdom of God is not about what you eat or what you don't eat. Neither one of those makes you more godly. Neither one of them accomplishes some higher religious spiritual standing that God's going to then do what you ask. So I say again, it is something that God would lead you to do. And he would show you, I think, in your own heart, specifically what you're fasting for, Specifically, how you're to fast, it could be a, a certain thing, and for how long you're to fast. I would caution you, if you've not fasted before, don't start out with a, 
a week fast. You, you probably won't make it. And then you'll feel like you failed. And, and that's not the intention that God would desire. I think that's what the devil would desire. You're going to start to fast, fast something. Uh, I, I would encourage initially to fast like a meal. One meal. Maybe one meal every certain day of the week, every Monday or something, if, you, if it goes on for a period of weeks. And then progress further if, if need be. Alright, let's move into application. Reasons to fast. There are many reasons, and I, I have a lot of notes already that I, I'm not preaching today, but I just drew out two main ones. And the reason I pulled out these two is because Number one, I think these are the most biblical two. And the other reason is, I, I didn't know about these. <laughs> I've fasted for years. I've, I've fasted probably back since I, soon after I became a Christian, I started fasting. But I've never heard a message on fasting. Have you ever heard a message on fasting? Would you raise your hand? One. I've never heard a message on fasting. I've never done a study on fasting. And so uh, you say, well, how did you? I don't know how I got to where I was. Uh, probably just from hearing people at church talk or different things. But the two application points today that have to do with fasting, I did not realize was so important. And, I, and before this week, I have not fasted for these reasons. It's kind of shameful, isn't it? I'm just being vulnerable with you. And so number one, the first reason, and I think the most important reason to fast that I did not know about was because of sin. This goes all the way back in the Old Testament, and you find in the Old Testament this one day that most of you are probably aware of, the Day of Atonement. That one day a year when the high priest only could go into the Holy of Holies by himself and offer the sprinkled blood of that lamb that was slain to, to cover for the sins of the whole nation. That one day, it was such an important day. Can you imagine if you sinned and, and you had to wait till, let's say it was Christmas. It's not Christmas for us. But let's say on Christmas was our day of atonement. And you had to wait, like we're waiting for Christmas. You had to wait till that date to have your sins forgiven again. Wouldn't that be difficult? Wouldn't that be seem so long a wait? But on this one day, the day of atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and Offer this offering for the sins of the whole nation. It talks about it in Leviticus chapter 16. And so on this day, the, the Israelites were to fast. It says that they would fast from on that day, the day of atonement, from, from sunrise to sunset. They would fast all day. The Talmud gives us a description of this Jewish fast on the Day of Atonement, and it lists several things that it involved. Number one, it involved confession of sin. They could not eat or drink from sunrise to sunset. There was no anointing of themselves with oil. There was no wearing of sandals. There was no conjugal intercourse. And even the little children were required not to eat and not to drink. So it was a whole family affair from sunrise to sunset on the day of atonement. It was, it was to have a deep mourning spirit, a, a weeping spirit, you could say, 
and a conviction of sin. Maybe on that day when they're fasting, they're recounting all their sins from the whole year. This is the one fast that the Jews kept all throughout the Bible, and many still keep this fast today on the Day of Atonement. This fasting on the Day of Atonement obviously presents the theme of fasting because of sin, doesn't it? It must. Because of sin, because it is the one day that they are having their sins forgiven by the high priest's offering on the mercy seat. And I think this is what I have missed so much, that it, it is so intertwined with sin that when you're fasting, you are fasting because of sin. It may be because of your sin. It may be because of someone else's sin. Let me try to explain that. It may be that you, you have sinned, you have confessed your sin to God, and Jesus has forgiven your sin, but then you fast in repentance. I want to be cautious in this whole message not to ever make you think that you're doing anything to work in fasting that gets something back. It is, it is not a work that you do. It's a, a fasting would be a repentance to say to God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I've sinned and I thank you for your forgiveness and I, and I want to stop sinning. That's what, what repentance is. It may be that you fast for someone else's repentance or sin in someone else's life. You see the sin in their life. Maybe they don't even see it. They're not even aware of it, but you begin to fast for them and pray for them that God would forgive them and deliver them from these sins. Now, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6. It says, Is this not the fast I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. In Isaiah chapter 58, I'll probably come back to this again throughout this series on fasting and, and sackcloth and ashes. It tells what fasting was not, and then it tells what fasting is. And it brings out this verse in verse 6 to tell one of the greatest powers of fasting. When you're fasting over your sin or over somebody else's sin, look what it says. To loose the bonds of wickedness. That means wickedness has its bondage on somebody. It's chains on somebody. And you're fasting and you're saying, oh God, break those chains to undo heavy burdens. You're, you're going along and you're so weighted down with your own sin. Maybe you're having trouble believing in the forgiveness of God because your sin was so great. Maybe somebody here today has a sin way back there that you have never really got free from. You still feel the burden of it. You still feel the guilt of it. You still feel the, the pain of it. And you want to fast and say, God, remove the burden of this heavy sin that's been on me now for years. And you would fast and, and allow God to lift that burden off your soul. To let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. And again, it has to do with just the breaking of bondage. To be set free. To loose chains. To break the, the yoke of the bondage of sin. So sometimes you would fast for your sins or maybe for somebody else's sins. Again, not to earn forgiveness, but, but to demonstrate your despair over your sin, your hatred over your sin, and your desire for God to work and forgive and remove your sins far from you. I want you to think about the Day of Atonement before we leave it. When they 
came to the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, the normal Jewish man or woman or boy or girl, they did nothing. They could do nothing. The high priest did all the work on that day. And he had a busy day if you read that passage. He had to get up early and wash so many times and dip himself in water so many times and do all these ritualistic type things before he could even make the sacrifice of the lamb. But the high priest did it and then he would carry it and then he would go into the Holy of Holies and then he would offer it and then he would sprinkle the blood. The high priest is doing all the work and so their fasting on that day was not to do work. The work was being done for them. Their fasting on that day was to identify with what work was being done and say, I need this. I want this forgiveness. I want to be set free. I, I have this desire for God's forgiveness and I have this realization of how wicked my sin is and how wrong my sin is. It's no different in your relationship with Jesus. You don't do any of the work. He does all the work. He went to the cross for you. He was beaten for you. He suffered for you. You're not doing any of the work. So when you fast over sin, you need to remember He does all the work. Your fasting is simply to say this, Lord, I cannot forgive myself. I cannot earn your forgiveness. I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And so in fasting, you're just, you're, you're broken over your sin and you're drawing near to God and asking for God to do what only He can do. But you fast because of sin. Number two, you fast because you need faith. Let me give you a long passage here. I want you to read it because I want you to kind of get it all in. I have it on the screen. Uh, Matthew chapter 17. At the end of it, it's going to talk about fasting, but at the beginning it talks about faith. Let's, let's look at it together. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him kneeling down. This is Jesus. Kneeling down to Jesus and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him or help him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Notice he calls him faithless. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, I want to circle that word in your Bibles or underline unbelief. For, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And so he's talking about unbelief, and then at the end of it he says this kind only goes out by prayer and fasting. He talks about there moving a mountain. He says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, my daughter's recently, somebody gave him a necklace that has a 
a, a real mustard seed inside of it, and it's just a speck. It's like a grain of sand. It's, the, it's the, one of the smallest seeds on the planet. And Jesus says, if you have that, let me use a mountain word, that smidgen, you ever heard that word? If you're going to use that smidgen of faith, if you really even had that kind of faith, you can move a mountain. You can say to this mountain, be moved from here to over there. And he, and he says, it, he puts in the phrase there, he says, nothing will be impossible for you. See that? Nothing will be impossible for you. So I'm going to say it this way. And, and then he, because he says at the end, fast, this comes out only by prayer and fasting. Fasting moves mountains. Let that, let that sink in. Fasting moves mountains. Fasting does something inside of you that creates some sort of faith in God that begins to believe that that same God can move a mountain. That's what fasting can do in your life. It, it's moving a mountain. Uh, that, that seems impossible to me. Does that seem impossible to you? That not seen that happen yet. I've said I won't, but I've not seen that happen yet. It seems impossible. It seems... I'm from the mountains. They're large. They're huge. They're massive amounts of dirt. And to believe that God's going to take one and just move it seems so impossible. But that's the way life is. You come up against things often that seem impossible. You come up against things in your marriage and you think, we'll never overcome that. You have your children come up against things and you think, they'll never outgrow that one. That was really hard. That was really difficult. Mountains are barriers. Huge barriers. And faith in God tears down barriers. Mountains are huge obstacles. But faith in God removes obstacles. When you fast and you pray, something begins to happen inside of you. If, if you fasted, you, you could say amen. Something begins to happen inside of you. And, and when you're fasting and praying, you start expecting God to work. Before you started fasting, you may have examined the sin that you're dealing with or the sin that a friend is dealing with. And you thought like this. It's going to be impossible to get them out of that. It's going to be impossible to break the yokes of that sin in their life. But then you start to fast. And you start to pray. And if you're praying for a, a friend in, in, in sin, you've probably been already praying, but you weren't fasting, let's say. You've already been praying, but not fasting. You were thinking, they need doctor information. They need help. And you can't help them. You've probably laid awake at night thinking, what should I say? What should I not say to them? You've probably laid awake at night. You're, you may have known a friend who's in sin and it actually made you physically sick. Have you ever had that happen? That happens to my wife a lot. You, you get physically sick over watching the sin and what it's doing to somebody's life. But then once you begin to fast, 
God does something inside of us that that creates a faith in us, a mountain-moving faith. If you've been praying for a friend and then you begin to fast, you've been praying, Lord, I need you to change their mind. Lord, I need you to wake them up. Lord, I, I need to know what to say or not to say. But then you begin to fast. And you begin to envision God moving mountains. That moving mountains is not impossible. And so now you, instead of thinking, God, they cannot be changed, or God, they're too far gone, you begin to start to think, God can. God will. God will work in that situation. And then peace overcomes you. Fasting brings you into this closer communion with God, and now your faith is increasing, your eyes are set on God, and peace overcomes you. When you fast and pray, you begin to have faith in God, mountain-moving faith. And then we look at that phrase, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting at the end of that passage. What's that mean? This kind doesn't come out by except by prayer and fasting. It's saying like the only way you're going to accomplish the answer to this prayer that you've been praying for, this was in connection with a demon, the only way you're going to find an answer to this prayer is if you fast and pray. <coughs> Think about that for just a second. Especially if you're dealing with something right now that is overwhelming. It's mountain-like in size. It's seemingly impossible. Think about that for just a minute. This kind, this this. This answer to this thing that's such a burden on you, this yoke that needs broken, this kind only comes out, only happens by prayer and fasting. Let me just say it to you this way. Certain prayers are only answered in fasting. Certain prayers call for you to be a person who fasts. Some things don't change until there's a change in you. That's what fasting is all about. If you've never fasted, this is what you'll soon learn. When you start fasting, even if you're fasting for somebody else, the moment you begin to fast, what begins to happen is God begins to work inside you. There's a reality in all of our lives. If you want to admit it, you're just wrong, okay? You need to admit it. We are much quicker to see sin in somebody else's life than we are in our own life. Amen? We are able to do that. So you see a great sin in somebody's life. Maybe it's a heinous sin. Maybe it really is a far worse sin than you would commit. But you see it and you're broken over it and you're sickened over it and you hurt over it and you weep over it and you stay awake over it and you want to help them because you love them. And you say, okay, Lord, I want to help them so bad, I'll fast. And you start fasting. And when you start fasting, what you start to do is you start to realize, boy, I've been far from God. I've been pretty worldly. I've been pretty distant from God. I've not been reading my Bible. I've not been praying. I need Jesus in my life afresh and anew. I've lost my first love. And God begins to work on you. And as He's working on you, He opens your eyes and He lets you see a vision of the glory of God. And you begin to believe once again, my God can move mountains. My God can wake up the dead. My God can do what's impossible for me to do. 
And you start to believe in Him again and He's working inside of you. In fasting, you begin to see your own sin. Then you get right with God and then you draw nearer to God. And then you begin to pray for that person that you started out praying for who needed to move with God in their life. I'm going to caution you here. Don't make this mistake. Don't make this mistake. Your fasting is not to get God's attention. Don't make that mistake. You already have the attention of God. And you don't lose the attention of God. God is watching you. God has got His hand on you. God knows where you are and where you're not doing good. And so your fasting is not to get God's attention. But what fasting does, it gathers all of your attention towards God. It takes it off food or drink or whatever the worldly things are that so casually consume our lives. And it focuses all of your attention towards God. And when it focuses all of your attention towards God, it causes you to believe God again and put your faith in God again and to know that your God can do what's impossible for you to do. He can even move a mountain. Then Isaiah chapter 58, verse 8. A few verses later from that one we read earlier about fasting. It says, Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So just in closing, should we fast today? The answer is yes, we should. Do you fast? Should you fast? Let me ask you these two questions. Do you have a sin that calls for fasting? Either a past sin that you must repent for, that you would begin to fast and say, Lord, forgive me of this sin. Not to earn it, not as a works, but as a, 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 a repentance, a fast for sin or our friend that's in sin that you would fast for or a need that you would fast for do you have a mountain that needs to be moved that requires fasting something that seems impossible that requires fasting I fasted for my wife Cindy when she had cancer and we believe that we're actually obligated today to testify that God healed her. We must do that because God did that. An obligation. I fasted one time for a man who had a hard heart and I didn't think would ever be saved for a very long time. I don't remember how long and God finally softened his heart and he was saved. I fasted for one of my children for over a year that they would be saved. Praise God, one day he saved them. I fasted oftentimes for my children's future spouses and who they would marry, that they'd be godly, love God with all their heart, and have a godly marriage. I've fasted. I can look around the room. I've fasted for many of you in this room. Some of you more than once. When they interview a pastor.
sure what they should do is let him pray and ask him how much he'll pray for his people. Because one of the chief responsibilities of the pastor is to pray for the people. And while I testify to you that I have done all those things, I have never been fasting over my sin. I didn't understand the scripture on that, but I can tell you this. I will, in the future, fast for my sinfulness. And I've never fasted because I needed God to move them out. I believe that he could do the impossible. But I will in the future. When it seems like there's no hope and something's impossible, begin to fast and pray. It may be today that as you learn this and listen to this message, God has put on your heart something right now that is such a heavy burden on you. That even while you sit here, you begin to, to, to desire, I want to fast for that. Then I would say, you should. If God's done that in your heart. And let him lead you about what to fast and when to fast. And don't tell anybody. Let it just be between you and him. Maybe you and your wife would gather and fast together about something. Maybe as a man you would call your whole family into fasting about something. But fasting is biblical. And fasting is powerful. I'll give you one if you have none on your own. <laughs> if God would permit, if God would lead you. Fast for us to have church when we have church. Pray and ask God to show up when we meet together in this place. And he would do a work that men cannot do. And I certainly cannot do. But the Spirit of God can do in a moment. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Would you pray and ask God to show you in the future when he wants you to fast? what he wants you to fast for and to give you courage to do it. Father, we confess to you today that there's nothing sweeter than growing close to God. There's nothing better in this old world than just walking with God, walking with you, Lord, knowing your presence, Aware of your work, aware of your move. And Father, we pray that you would help us as a church to be a fasting church. A group of people who believe in fasting and who do it often. Privately. And our faith would grow. And our sins would be cleansed. And we would praise and glorify you. Father, we have seen you do mighty things. I wonder how much more we'll see. How much more we'll see you do in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?